Chapter 13 of Charles Simeon by Hanley Mole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Correspondence. These fragmentary specimens of Simeon's letters suggest the production also of some of those which he received. Of these there exists a considerable autograph collection made by Canon Carus and placed in my charge by him. It is interesting to look over even the names of the writers, many of them men of noble mark in the religious history of their time and the contents are often of great interest. I present the reader here with a nearly complete list of the names, and with some extracts from the letters, longer or shorter as occasion offers. Bishop of York, of Ely, John Thornton, John Newton, Henry Venn. From the letters of these, four I have quoted above, pages 37, 40, 42, and 44. Charles Grant, 1791, about Samuel Marsden's proposed ordination, the Archbishop thinks Marsden, quote, too young to be sent to Botany Bay, end quote. Samuel Marsden, the Apostle of New Zealand, 1792, from Parramatta, quote, informing you of our safe arrival in New Holland, end quote, as assistant to Johnson, the first chaplain. William Romaine, February 1795, quote, engage your friends, as many as you can, to plead for mercy to this guilty land, and to pray for W. Romaine, end quote. Thomas Horace, August 1793, quote, my dear brother, my heart is as thy heart, my people as thy people, ask and tis granted, make any use of my tunes you please, and welcome, whether I publish them or you signifieth not, if the great end is answered, to convey sweetly to the conscience the knowledge of him who is altogether lovely. But as I know your object and end, I will first tell you my ideas respecting the means, and then you will command me to assist. You cannot have good singing if you have not a few treble voices. Base ones are more easily formed. These must be together and lead the rest, because... Though no difficult melodies should be used, yet the plainest and simplest require precision, time, and what particularly strikes, pause, change, or women's parts, followed by the full chorus. An able leader, who can teach and lead, is far beyond any other help. I don't mean a professional singer, but such as I have at Aldwinkle, a tyler, who loves the truth and is naturally musical. Before you get any organ, see if you cannot select a few good voices among your people and practice them under some asaph till they begin to feel their way. Simeon had consulted his friend Horvice, rector of Aldwinkle near Thrapston, about the improvement of the singing in Trinity Church. He had been quote, charmed with the singing at Aldwinkle, end quote, which had been brought to remarkable perfection by the musically gifted rector. In the event, Simeon bought and placed in his church a good organ to be played by barrel or keyboard at will. It was opened by Professor Randall in 1794. He bought at the same time another smaller instrument to assist the singing practice at the room. Mrs. Fletcher of Maidley, 1796, quote, I look for no justification but through the great atonement, and for no acceptance but in the righteousness of him who hath performed the perfect law for me, end quote. Alexander Stewart of Moulin, the letter quoted above, page 168, Robert Hawker of Plymouth, 1797, a consultation about the bishop's right to forbid a church lecture, Thomas Robinson of Leicester, 1798, quote, come and rouse us by your lively exhortations, end quote, Isaac Milner, 1807, quote, your very kind letter finds me in a very considerable fuss and hurry, there is a return of the old complaint of spitting of blood, 
I fear I shall never be able to use my voice much. Happy they, who, like you, have used their voices to good purpose, end quote. Henry Martin, Calcutta, September the 1st, 1806. Quote, my dearest brother, I feel no hesitation about inviting Miss L. G. on her own account, except it be that she should come so far for one who is utterly unworthy of her. I would rather die than bring one whom I honour so much into a situation of difficulty, but indeed there is no hardship to be encountered. In my absence, she might, if she pleased, visit the English ladies who are always to be found at the different stations. The plan about to be adopted by the Baptists is to establish missionary stations in the country, while one missionary makes the circuit of the surrounding country, another shall always be in the way to receive inquirers and to explain. I should think that a zealous woman, acquainted with the language and especially if assisted by native brethren, might be of use in this way, without moving from her house. Three such men as Carey, Marshman, and Ward, so suited to one another and to their work, are not to be found, I should think, in the whole world. I have sometimes attended, blank, while preaching to the natives. The poor people in general were very attentive, but I thought there was a want of tenderness in his address. They are, I am told, too fond of running down the superstitions of the natives and abusing the Brahmins, instead of stating with dignity and love the truths of the gospel. End quote. The same, Dhanapur, sick, January 1808. Quote, my dearest friend and brother, I must begin my letter with assurances of eternal regard. Eternal will it be, if I find grace to be faithful. My expectation of seeing Lydia here is now at an end. I cannot doubt any longer what is the divine will, and I bow to it. Since I have been led to consider myself as perfectly disengaged from the affairs of this life, my soul has been filled with more ardent desires to spend and be spent in the service of God. And though in truth the world has now little to charm me, I think these desires do not arise from a misanthropic disgust to it. I never loved, nor ever shall love, human creature as I love her. Your letter mentions the loss of your voice. I was about to say at first, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but the last twenty-five years of your life show that the words are not applicable here. The race has been to the swift, and the battle to the strong. You have hitherto fought in the ranks. Now it is time you should be a general. You will understand that military figures are most natural to me, living, as I do always, within the sound of drum and fife and sight of a regiment of sepoys drilling, and visiting no Europeans scarcely but officers of the army. I remain, dearest brother, yours with constant regard, H. Martin, end quote. David Brown of Calcutta, 1809, quote, How could you imagine Miss C. would do as well as Miss L. G. for Mr. Martin? Dear Martin is married already to three wives, whom I believe he would not forsake for all the princesses in the earth, I mean his three translations of the Holy Scriptures, end quote. John Sargent, 1812, Quote, Thornton has distressed me by a report he has given of dear Martin's dangerous state of health. He has truly fought a good fight, but for the sake of the church, I trust, he has not finished his course. You're very affectionate and truly obliged. End quote. Daniel Corrie, afterwards Bishop of Madras, 1816, quote, My poor prayers have ascended at home and abroad for your continued usefulness in a place where, so unlooked for and undesired, your labours were made useful to myself. End quote. William J. of Bath, 1811, quote, I am encouraged to introduce to you the bearer. He has a brother fighting in His Majesty's service in the fleet of Toulon. Are not the walls of the temple rising in these troublous times? Zachary Macaulay, 1813, 
quote, the parish of Clapham to a man are longing and praying for Dealtree, end quote, to succeed John Venn, deceased. Richard Cecil, 1812, question mark, quote, in this extremity of sickness I am anxious to see you, for I have more to say to you than I can possibly write. Pray for me that I may have his hand to hold, if not to heal, who remain your most affectionate brother, end quote. Thomas Scott, Aston Sanford, 1813, quote, On my receipt of your most kind letter, and afterwards when a daughter brought me the most liberal and most unexpected present by far which I ever received in my life, I was quite overwhelmed. The sense of my perverse unbelief, distrust, and dejection, with other things which I had to abase me in the dust before God, filled me with shame and confusion. I am only afraid that my generous friends should have mistaken either my character or my situation. There could be no reason why such favour should be shown to one who was educated in David's university of following the ewes great with young. If my visit to Cambridge was in any degree useful, let me bless God on your account, whose ministry has been the chief means of disposing such numbers to hear my plain and unadorned and sometimes almost uncouth instructions. End quote. I remember hearing from the late Reverend C. Bridges an allusion to that visit when Scott preached for Simeon. One sentence remained on the hearer's mind, quote, Let me be an errand boy for Christ, if I can be nothing more, end quote. James Goodall, Provost of Eton, 1809, quote, Your kind letter, of congratulation on election to be Provost, gave me real pleasure. I do not think the archenemy of mankind ever plagued the good man of Uz by making him executor to a friend who never destroyed a single document. The reason is plain, paper was not then invented your old and very affectionate friend, end quote. The same, 1833, quote, It gave me great pleasure to hear from sundry kingsmen that you are, in vulgar phrase, well and hearty, though I much doubt if you could now snuff a candle with your feet or jump over half a dozen chairs in succession. Sed quid ego hoecare voco. At 73, moniti meliora seco amor. End quote. Professor Farish, 1811, see above, page 63, quote, I like your answer, so far as it is serious, and leaving out a little would make it entirely so, very much, end quote. Bishop Burgess of St. David's, and afterwards Salisbury, 1820, quote, I have received your very valuable present of your hori homiletici. My first object was to look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, end quote. Thomas Chalmers, 1818, the letter quoted above, page 154, William Marsh, 1820, quote, After a journey for the Jewish missions through England, during which we did nothing, we arrived in Ireland, where half a dozen able-bodied men might do anything. Churches, rotundas, bishops' palaces are open to us. End quote. Thomas Erskine of Lenlarthen, 1821, quote, May your crown be daily growing in the number and richness of its jewels, and may your own soul be watered by the dews of heaven. End quote. Sir T. Fall Buxton, Cromer, 1820, quote, My dear friend, I should be sincerely hurt if I could bring myself to believe that you really are much vexed with me for my elopement on the day of the Jewish meeting, end quote. R. Waldo Sibthorpe, Oxford, 1829, quote, I write to ask for information and advice. I am designing to open my rooms once a week for what I may call, in one sense, an evening party, but the tea is only introductory to an exposition of scripture which I propose to give myself. Allow me to ask whether you open or close with prayer. With prayer, should the number exceed twenty, are we not in danger of being considered conventiclers? 
I am sure you will rejoice to hear that God is doing much in this university. There is a very goodly company of truly pious young men, and an increasing one too. End quote. August Tollock of Halle, 1831. Quote, Dear Sir, in compliance with the requests of the Berlin Society for finding employment for poor proselytes, you have twice contributed so kindly to their funds that you will excuse me for taking the liberty of addressing me a third time to you in the name of that society. They have sent me a large report in German, which they desired me to translate into English for you. I should have truly wished to do it if my time had allowed, for I am sure it would have given you pleasure." However, I must confine myself to state only some few facts. I cannot help adding, at the close of this letter, that I have seen your large book with skeletons for sermons, and have been delighted with it." Quote. Charles Grant, Jr., afterwards Lord Glenelg, 1832. Quote, you will easily believe that the thought of my father has never been far from me through all the progress of this matter. End quote namely Daniel Wilson's appointment to the See of Calcutta. Daniel Wilson, 1832, quote, My dearest brother and friend, yesterday I received the awful tidings, the offer of Calcutta. I say awful when I look to the immense responsibility. I shall want your counsels, admonitions, directions, prayers more than ever, end quote. William Wilberforce, 1832, quote, How little you have any conception of the degree in which you have exercised my thoughts, and still more my affections, since the receipt of your last truly kind and deeply interesting letter, end quote. See page 249. Henry William Wilberforce, 1833, on his father's death, quote, May you, my dear sir, be spared to us that all our fathers in Christ may not depart at once, most sincerely and affectionately yours, end quote. Robert Isaac Wilberforce, afterwards Archdeacon, 1833, quote, My dear Simeon, my brother has probably told you of the very important work which I meditate. I am about to compile a memoir of my beloved father. I doubt not that his letters written to you would be particularly valuable, end quote. Samuel Wilberforce, afterwards Bishop, Lavington, 1836. After the death of his brother Henry, quote, God has again visited this stricken family with another death, Yesterday evening, without a sob, he ceased silently to breathe. We have had abundant evidence to establish our hearts in the blessed assurance of his having joined in paradise the happy company of the redeemed saints, where his father, his brother, his sister, and many more dear to him, and to whom he was dear, already are. Your most affectionate, S. Wilberforce. Sir J. Stephen, September 10th, 1836. Quote, I am one of that multitude whose services in any matter you have a right to command, though in the spirit of Paul the aged it pleases you to employ a lowlier style. Simeon had asked Stephen, then in Parliament, to frank letters for him. William Dealtree, afterwards Bishop of Madras, 1833, quote, I have heard Mr. Newton preach when, as a friend, I could have wished he would have remitted his public labours, but I have never heard the slightest hint of that sort from friend or foe, I was going to say, but I know of none. God has made even your enemies to be at peace with you. Stranger, concerning Mr. Simeon, end quote. Henry Venn, Jr., afterwards Secretary of the Church Missionary Society, grandson of Venn of Yelling, 1835, Quote, in sending you a copy of the second edition of my grandfather's life, I must acknowledge your great kindness in furnishing me with your letter of corrections. Your obliged and affectionate friend and servant. End quote. 
Josiah Pratt, secretary of the CMS, 1832, quote, My dear friend, will you allow me to beg that the bearer may be admitted to your Friday evening parties? I doubt whether more than one or two persons were present at your recent jubilee, who knew you so early in your career as I did. As my knowledge of you began, I think, the first year of your being in orders at Birmingham. End quote. Edward Copleston, Provost of Oriel, 1822. Quote, I consider it no slight proof that my services are likely to be of some use when they obtain the approbation of one who has laboured so long and so ably in the same cause, and whose life has given the strongest evidence of disinterestedness and sincerity. End quote. Archbishop Howley, Lambeth, May 1833. See page 249. Quote, Dear Sir, I cannot regard the desire you have expressed of inscribing your important work to me in any other light than as a mark of your love and respect for the Church. It is my general rule to decline dedications. In the present instance, I shall readily make an exception. I remain, dear Sir, with much respect, your faithful, humble servant. End quote. Charles Veith, Administrator of the Library at Vienna. October 1834. Quote, Reverend Sir, the Imperial Royal Library has received a splendid copy of your work, Hori Homiletiki. I instantly gave to this magnificent work the due place of honour beside the precious Bible editions we are in possession of, and added your reverend name to the list of our well-willers. I am confident that he who is the great cause of universal good will grant you a productive and abundant harvest of the seed you have been scattering by the solitary hours of your exertions with such fervent zeal. End quote. J. Pye Smith, D.D., Homerton, June 1833. Quote, On behalf of the old Protestant dissenting academy in this village, I take leave to return the most respectful thanks for your valuable present of the complete edition of your writings. I humbly congratulate you upon the prospect that your labours will be instrumental for spiritual good in both hemispheres as long as the present dispensation shall last while your greatest joy on earth and in the heavenly state will be to say, I am nothing, I laboured, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. End quote. Joseph John Gurney, Earlham, 1830. Quote, My beloved friend, I have been quite glad to hear of thy recovery from that discomforting companion, the gout. My sister Fry much enjoyed her communications with thee. I have sent copies of my biblical notes to all the English bishops, as I wished they should see that friends are not heterodox on the great points of the common faith. Canst thou excuse such an act of boldness? Thy friends must all unite in wishing thee well to husband thy remaining strength. We would have thee as long as we can amongst us for the church's sake, yet when the master calls thee into happier and holier regions to sing a yet purer song in praise of thy beloved, we will not try to hold thee back. I often think of the deep solitude of death, no friend or brother can lend us an arm through that dark valley. Where then would be our hope of passing through it safely, were it not for the promise I will be with thee? But I look upon thee as one remarkably emancipated from the fear of death, sitting at ease upon the chair. Dost thou remember thy own illustration of a full and firm faith and an easy conscience? May I be enabled to attain to a similar condition." Farewell, my dear and honoured friend, I am thy faithfully attached son in the gospel, for I will esteem thee as a father. J. J. Gurney. End, end of chapter 13.